Hey there. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for joining me as we continue to take a look back at our incredible first year here on the Exam Room. If you look at the Chinese Zodiac calendar, you'll see that 2018 is the year of the dog. But I'm going to give that dog a name. We're going to call 2018 Lassie. And that's because Lassie is one inspirational pup. Despite everything that you see and you hear on the news, this has truly been an extraordinary year. One that's been filled with so many highs that it's just incomprehensible. The real good news is so powerful that it overshadows all of that doom and gloom that is so pervasive in the headlines. And the real top stories are the dozens of inspirational people who have graciously shared their journeys with us here on the exam room by the Physicians Committee. These are the people who have literally turned their life around by turning their attention to what it is that they eat. By focusing on nutrition, okay, by focusing on nutrition, many have been able to come off of scores of medication. Some reverse diabetes, others fought cancer, some don't need a cane to walk anymore, others, they look 20 years younger than they actually are, or they've lowered their risk of Alzheimer's and boosted their immune system. And now they're using their stories. They are sharing them in hopes of inspiring others. They simply want to show that by taking control of your diet, you can also take control of your destiny. And the one thing that everybody has in common, all of them have turned to a plant-based diet. We're going to start our look back with one of my absolute favorite stories of the year. And it's not just because it involves football, but it's because of what this one man has been able to accomplish. Mark Ramirez, a football player, a big guy, an enormous guy, a guy who abused his body for years, both on the field and at the dinner table. And perhaps there was a bit of, I'm going to do what I want mentality with Mark because he thought that his fate was sealed. It was locked and there was absolutely no way out, no way to avoid it. Diabetes, it runs rampant in his family. He was certain that he was going to get it. The disease, it has devastated them. It has shaken his family to its very core. It absolutely did, Chuck. And you're right. Six years ago, I never would have thought that this this is where I'd be today. You know, I come from a long history of diabetes in my entire family. I come from a big Mexican family, eight brothers and sisters. My mother, every one of those individuals, with the exception of one sister, was diagnosed and or has battled diabetes. Mm. My mother was diabetic for, Chuck, for 33 years. Wow. You know, ever since I can remember, since I was a little kid, she was popping pills for diabetes. And as the years went on, of course, the, the, the disease progressed. 
ultimately she ended up having a a kidney transplant that was donated by my only sister who was not battled with diabetes so far knock on wood um and then you know she had two heart attacks she was legally blind years of dialysis years and years of just diabetes high blood pressure high cholesterol just teens you know teens of medications you know i don't know if it was 15 16 17 medications she was taking but just a whole slew of medicines and poor health and ultimately chuck uh, at the young age of 61 she had two arteries in, around her heart that were so blocked she needed to go in for a double bypass and unfortunately she never recovered from that mm. bypass and died at the young age of 61 i'm i'm so sorry to hear that you know i was uh been taking health and, and nutrition courses, and I know that anything before the age of 72 now is clinically premature, so that's young at any age, but I, you know, my heart's out to you, and, and I really wish that she could have learned more about this while she was still with us. Yeah, you know, I, I do too. I mean, I, I look at my daughter. My daughter was uh, six. My son was three when she passed, so they didn't get to see very much of grandmother. Uh, the other, you know, the other, my oldest brother, David, David died at the young age of 41. He dealt, he was diabetic for approximately a decade, mm-hmm. dealt with a nine month bout of pancreatic cancer. And unfortunately, uh, he died at the young age after nine months of battling the pancreatic cancer. He passed at the young age of 41. So diabetic for approximately a decade, had some high blood pressure, some high cholesterol, but ultimately cancer, uh, did him in at the young. And, and what's ironic is they both passed in within a matter of two months, both in the year of 2002. And ironically, that's the same year, that same year 2002 was when I was diagnosed with diabetes. So So. 2002, but you really didn't change things up until, what, almost a decade later. So why wait? Like, what what did it take to open your eyes? You know, it's interesting. At first, so I'm diagnosed with diabetes. I just had this disaster of, of a year with my mother and my brother passing. Uh, and ultimately, I think when I look at all my brothers and sisters, everybody's diabetic. I thought that this was my fate. I thought this was in my genes. Everybody has it. And, you know, you read all these studies that Hispanics have a high rate of diabetes. So I just thought this was just genetic. There's nothing I can do. I basically just need to brace and prepare for this disease to settle in with me. So I wasn't shocked and I wasn't surprised when I was given the diagnosis. Uh, you know, we start with the medicines. The metformin, 500 milligrams, and then as the time progresses, your sugars are still not where they need to be, so they up the dosage. And throughout this decade of being sick to the end of 2011, and it is pretty much a decade, I ended up having, I'm diabetic, I have high blood pressure, I have high cholesterol, I'm taking Inflantis insulin shots, two diabetes oral medications, a high blood pressure medication, and a high cholesterol medication, five different medicines, I'm 43 years old, Mm. and on top of the diabetes and blood pressure and cholesterol uh, diagnosis, I also have erectile dysfunction. I have psoriasis all over my scalp. I have heartburn very, very frequently. I'm overweight. I don't sleep well, and I'm just a mess at 43 years old. So this is what obviously the long-term effects of having these chronic illnesses as they settle in. I mean, I, so, I I hate to laugh at that. That I mean, that's just a lot. I don't even know how you woke up in the morning dealing with all of that. Well, I'll tell you what. I, you know, I tried. You know, I have my, my beautiful wife, my two two great children, and, you know, they keep you going. But, again, I, I'm looking at this devastation. So, you know, I talk about, you know, my oldest brother, David, my mother, uh, Carol, 
but I also have all my other brothers and sisters that are diabetic and blood pressure and cholesterol issues and taking and popping pills and just progressively getting worse. And actually the, the sickest one in the family is my youngest brother, Martin. Martin uh, was diagnosed with diabetes at about the age of 13 or 14. He's 44, soon to be 45 years old. So he's been battling it for about 31, 32 years. But Martin has had his right leg amputated, a pancreas and kidney transplant. He's legally blind. He does dialysis three times a week. He's had a heart attack. He, they took half of his thyroid this just past May in 2017 because they found three bumps in it that they believe to be cancer. Takes 25, uh, Chuck, 25 medications every single day. And so I give him a lot of credit because he understands what we're doing and he helps he allows us to share his message, share the pictures of his amputations, etc. And he he never complains. And he has he is trying to make some changes, but uh, the bottom line is uh, he allows us to share his message in hopes that hey, Mark, if if my story will help scare people into trying seeing what can happen in the long terms of diabetes and chronic illness, share the message and hopefully it'll inspire some other people to try and make some changes to uh, to improve their health. And use his brother's story, he does. But really, in talking to Mark, you'll learn that it's his own transformation that truly opens eyes, giving a beacon of light to those who feel that all hope is lost. You know, I look back to this decade of being sick, Chuck, and, uh, and then all of a sudden we came across two things that changed the entire trajectory of my my mind my family's life and that is we watched the documentary forks over knives mm -hmm. which i know you're familiar with very and through there we came across this guy i don't know you might know him his name is dr neil barnard rings a bell <laughs> does that sound familiar <laughs> so we read dr neil barnard's program for reversing diabetes after watching forks over knives and in that after this decade of being sick and progressively getting worse, all the medications, we said, well, I've tried counting carbs. I've tried counting calories. I've tried portion control. I've tried eating more and eating less rather and working out more. And guess what? I might have lost a little weight, felt a little better, but I'm still taking all the pills. I'm yeah. still sick. So I, it wasn't until I came across his book and understood that it's really the intramyocellular lipid, the, the fat inside the muscle cell that you really need to clean out so that our insulin sensitivity can go up. So once I understood the three rules that I learned out of his book, and that was, of course, no animal foods, low in fat, and then for diabetics, you wanna watch the glycemic index, the, the foods that cause your sugars to spike. So those three rules, understanding that, and sick for a decade, taking all these pills, my wife and I on December 3rd of 2011, just a little over six years ago, we adopt the whole food plant-based lifestyle, and in two months, after being sick for a decade, taking pills for a decade, in two months, I am off all my medications. In three months, I had lost 50 pounds. And it was amazing to see this transformation come through. And this is when my wife and I, we said, hey, we, you know, things are going so great. We need to now share this power, share this message with anyone that will listen, right? Because we just found some information that, for whatever reason, it took us a while to get there. But the bottom line is, we are the healthiest now. I'll be 50 years old in, in just a little over, a little less than a month, rather. And I think I, I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. I feel better today than I did 20 years ago. Well, brother, you and, don't look anywhere close to 50 either. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I mean, we're, we're trying. And my wife, 
you know, she's the rock uh, of the of chickpea and bean. She keeps uh, us going. She keeps us on top of a lot of the education, a lot of the learning as well, and keeping me straight too. When I I'm a little confused about certain things, but uh, <laughs> Kim and I now we we uh, we teach people this lifestyle. We tell them, look, don't let genes be your fate. Please understand that it doesn't matter how sick you are or how old you are. If you wrap your arms around this idea that food is what's killing us, but it can also be what saves us, you'll be amazed at how this machine, this body of ours, is an amazing machine, more complicated than any computer or any car ever will be, right? Yep. You just need to give it a chance and stop pounding it with all the wrong foods, and it's an amazing machine. Before this amazing transformation, before he became one half of chickpea and bean, Mark was a big-time college football player. He was playing at the Big House for the University of Michigan. And if you don't know, Michigan is one of the elite teams every single year. They're often in the mix for a national championship. We are talking big time. The program, larger than life. And as a member of that team, as a Wolverine himself, he thought that that is exactly what he thought he needed to be. When you were still a big guy, you were a football player, so did you kind of use that as a crutch to justify your size? Because I was uh, one of those wacky morning sidekicks on a radio station called Big 100.3, so of course I was Big Chuck, and I used that to justify you know, being so overweight. And that's kind of how I tried to trick myself into saying, hey, this is okay. Was that kind of similar for you as well? It's funny you ask that, that yes, I mean, Ever since fifth grade, I have been I, I played football up and, up and through college. So I was almost 22 years old. And all I remember hearing is, oh, steak. Steak is going to get you big and strong. It's going to keep you healthy and big. And, of course, you know, at training table at Michigan, I'd have two and three steaks. No problem, right? <laughs> keep that weight on and keep. Uh, so my whole, as I was growing up and, you know, in this man's world of weightlifting and getting big and staying strong and football and macho and man, you know, (laughs) I mean, that's just what you, that's in that realm. That is what you hear. You need to be big and strong. So did his teammates. Everyone bought in. That is until years later when they caught wind of what was happening with Mark then they too decided it was time to call an audible with their own health. There have been four of us now, myself and three others, Chuck, who two were battling with diabetes and blood pressure and frequent heartburn. Another one, you know, AFib and cholesterol issues. And amongst the, those three other folks, I'll give you a perfect example. One of my best friends, and he sh- we've shared his story, but he lost in one year, he lost almost 150 pounds. He was off his cholesterol meds and his AFib all but pretty much disappeared. He is in you know, way better shape than he has been in, in decades and, uh, and really improving himself. And the other two gentlemen had diabetes. They no longer have diabetes. Wow. They're off their meds. They're off their cholesterol issues. They've lost a good amount. One, one's lost 80 pounds and the other about 40, 45. That's great. But the bottom line is, yes, in that realm of athletes, you need meat to be big and strong. And, you know, we're seeing more and more in the NFL, you know, David Carter, there's some other uh, Theo Riddick here for the Detroit Lions, the plant-based. So more and more athletes are 
they're they're listening. You know, Tom Brady. Tom Brady, who's a, another Michigan man, uh, he's almost there. I don't know that he's a hundred percent place, but he's probably eighty to ninety percent there. He's close. So the bottom line is, you see more and more athletes. You know, Venus Williams, all these athletes. Carl Lewis, even he was talking about that back a while ago, saying that his best results occurred when he was eating a plant-based diet. So uh, I think it's it's turning and, and more and more athletes are, are beginning to understand the power of food. We turn now from someone who has a new lease on life to a mother and daughter who aren't just taking out a lease on longevity. They're straight up owning the aging process. Better yet, they're defying it. Tracy and Mary McWhorter are known as the ageless vegans. To look at them is to know the fountain of youth. It was a thrill to get to know them this summer, this extraordinary pair. They're kind of like the Peter Pans of the plant-based community. They don't want to grow up. Right before we started taping, you told me your age. No woman has ever come up to me and said, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I'm this this many years old that's a first and that number that you told me i would never believe it like i would think that you and i could have gone to high school together i'm 35 matter of fact you could tell me that you graduated a couple years after me and i would have believed it no indeed but thank you i'll take it i'm 51 it's impossible that's impossible we're gonna put your pictures up on pcrm.org slash podcast also tweet them at pcrm it's just unbelievable. And you, ma'am. Uh, 81. 81. I'm telling you, you don't look a day over 60. I, I mean, you look like right now you could put on a pair of sneakers and go run around that track that's outside. She uh, I can. Do you? you, you I you, do two hours of exercise five days a week. Woo, look I at you go. Pilates, Tai Chi, you, aerobic. No. Come on, girl. What are you, a personal trainer? Is that your side hustle? <laughs> No, I just love it. I walk. Yeah, I've been doing it. I've been walking forever. Good for you. Yeah, you keep that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to live forever. You keep that up. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, she exercises more than I do, for sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, I hope she's my inspiration. I hope, seriously, I hope to be that healthy and fit and active, you know, 30 years on. So that's 30 years from now. But let's go back 30 years. That's when Tracy first started to turn back the hands of time. It's been three decades that you two have been plant-based. Who, who, who made the change first? I made the change first. This is Tracy, the daughter of the duo. And um, I started in 1986 because of a lecture at my college by um, Dick Gregory at Amherst College my sophomore year. But my mother was always health conscious, so um, she planted the earliest seeds. So while we were omnivores, you know, we didn't have a lot of junk. We didn't have sugary uh, breakfast foods. We didn't have sodas. Dessert was once a week. So um, my mom really is was the was the start of it, for sure. And what about you? What got you started on the healthy eating kick? Well, what started me was when I first got pregnant with my first child, I wanted to have a healthy pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So I started reading books on, on how to have a healthy pregnancy. From That's what gave me the start. Simple as that. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, you guys were ahead of your time because now I just, as a matter of fact, did a show on healthy vegan parenting. And one of the things was, yes, it is absolutely possible to be on a plant-based diet during pregnancy and just the health benefits that come with that. And that's 2018. And so here you're talking about 30 years ago. You're, you're quite the forward thinker, ma'am. Well, actually, my, she wasn't vegan though. Just no, health I was conscious. health conscious. Yeah. I conscious, should say health yeah. conscious, right. but still ahead of the time. Ahead of the time. So I, I want to ask kind of a fun question now. You make the switch first. Mm-hmm. How was that conversation when you were telling your mom about, "Hey, mom, <laughs> I'm going vegan." She's already a healthy eater, mm-hmm. but. I remember when I told my wife that, she kind of looked at me and her jaw dropped. She's like, you already eat so healthy. And then I sit her down, you know, watch a couple documentaries. I go, ABCD, here's why we're doing this. But what was that conversation like for you two? Um, Well, for me, it was, uh, you know, after Dick Gregory's lecture. Mm -hmm. It it rocked my entire world, um, talking about why black folks in particular should be vegetarian. And so I immediately called my mom and one of my sisters who was at Tufts University at the time and said, I think I should go vegetarian. And this is why, you know, because of what Dick Gregory said. And I'll say that he traced the path of a hamburger from a cow on a factory farm through the slaughterhouse process to a fast food restaurant, to a clogged artery, to a heart attack. So this is the conversation that I was having um, with my mom and my sister. And um, so a few months later, we, when I came home for the summer, we decided to research it, basically. Uh-huh. So it wasn't like, you know, she just said, my sister and my mom just said, okay, we're going to do it. We researched it. We wanted to find out more about it. Yeah. And I had already given up uh, pork, processed meat, um, beef, and I was still eating chicken and fish at the time and dairy. Yeah. How, how difficult was that for you to give up the chicken and the, and the rest of well, it? Well, it, was, it wasn't that difficult because um, I was looking at a program on uh, PBS, and they were telling you how uh, chicken was uh, processed. So they would uh, cut the bad part off and then sell the rest. So what I did, I had some chicken in my freezer, so I just went and threw my chicken out. <laughs> just like that. Just there it goes. So here's a little bit of good news for you. Tracy and Mary have taken their three decades of plant-based experience and outlined their secrets to success in their book, which is appropriately titled Ageless Vegans. There are about 100 recipes in there as well, including one that I highly recommend, Mary's Famous Pecan Pie. Next up, we take a trip south to Louisiana, Cajun country. That's where you'll find Josh Lajani. At one point, he was more than 200 pounds overweight and trapped inside of an enormous body that was desperate for change. And boy, did he ever make that happen. Josh adopted a plant-based diet, laced up his sneakers, and began running for his life. And he kept running. And running. And running. Frankly, the man doesn't stop. He's now one of the most well-known runners in the country and inspiring thousands of others to follow suit and also take charge of their health. Now... 
every weight loss story is a little bit different. His began when his beloved New Orleans Saints won the Super Bowl. Their improbable victory was indeed a bucket list moment for Josh, and it made him think. If the impossible is, in fact, possible, what else can I do? Whenever I get a fellow weight loss success story on the show, I get real excited. Um, At my heaviest, the listeners know, I was 420 pounds, Mm -hmm. lost 275, now I'm 145. 5'5 on a good day. You got a little more height than I do, but what, what did you max out at, man? You got Around quite four, the story. Yeah, about four twenty is nice. Well. I'm on a I'm on a you know six three and a half frame. Now. Right, got a couple inches on me. A little bit. All right. So what, what's uh, what's the secret sauce, man? How'd you do it? Well, uh, boy, I wish there was a real quick answer to that. Yeah, right. But, yeah, right. Because <laughs> uh, then I could just package it up and give it away to folks and right. change their lives really, really easily. Um, but for me, wh- where it all started was, you know, obviously as you as, as a fat guy, I've always wanted to lose weight. For sure, that's always been a backbeat in the back of my mind. Was I've always wanted to lose weight, but um, and I would lose weight. I would lose a hundred pounds, lose eighty pounds, put it back on, and plus then some, some right? yep. plus interest, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, so I, I wound up during one of these weight weight loss stints i met my wife mm-hmm. and so she wound up talking me into going back to school eventually she married me which i was completely flabbergasted by that some beautiful female would marry this big fat hulking human being right and so she talked me into going back to school and at the end of uh like it was at the beginning of 2011 um i just said you know i was i was at uh in my senior year i was uh a non-traditional student, finally about to get my degree. A whole bunch of things in my life that I had previously thought were impossible. One, falling in love um, in a reciprocal manner. Right, like, right. I've always fallen in love. For sure. Is, right? But to have that in my life, to have that in my wife and have someone who loved me no matter what, that blew my mind. Right, it was right. impossible. Prove impossible. The Saints won a Super Bowl. <laughs> and that's the big one. In, in, in 2000, I mean, I'm like, and we, I was like, in my in my entire life, I thought, as a foregone conclusion, it's never going to happen. Right, right. Here we are. Bam. Saints won a Super Bowl. Another thing was, I am a has-been football player, has-been athlete who peaked out in high school, flunked out in college, got hurt, and so I'll never go back to school and get my degree. And here I was in 2011, you know, just 12 months away from finally getting that business degree that I'd always coveted secretly but never really had the gumption to go far until my wife really prodded me into it. And so... As I was on, as I began that year, uh, February 2011, I just really, I felt smart. I yeah. felt really good about myself for earning my degree finally. I felt really good that I had this beautiful wife who had a career and who, who was just, just so smart and, and, and supportive. It's like and, a shot of confidence right, right there, man. Right? Big time, big time. And so I was like, I want my outside to match my inside. I feel smart. But what I'm doing to myself right now doesn't look very smart to be, you know, wearing a 56 waist jeans. Yeah, man. um, I don't look very smart. It looks it, it doesn't 
it doesn't look like a smart route to take. And so I, I was scared to do it, but I eventually just said, I'm going to look better by the end of the year. I, I want to put on a suit and not feel embarrassed when I'm standing in front of my uh, capstone course right, classmates. Right. There you go. Um, and and uh, so that was that's what set me off in 2011 is I wanted to just simply look better in a suit by December. I like the I way graduate. that you said that. Like, I, it wasn't I hope to. It's I'm going to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. so important. Yeah. It's just that verbiage, man. It's so powerful. Oh, linguistics is huge. Yeah. How do you talk to yourself when no one's looking is, is really, if you want to talk about a secret sauce, that's the secret sauce. For sure, man. For sure. You better befriend yourself. You better give yourself a big, warm bro hug or you, you're going to be fighting an uphill battle. Right, right. So all the while here, right before you made up your mind to kind of feel good on the outside like you did on the inside, you said that you had kind of yo-yo dieted a little bit. Were you on the uh, the incline at that point? Were you going back up or were you because you had this beautiful woman, you were trying to keep yourself in check? Oh, no. Yeah. She made it clear very early on that she loved me no matter what. And I took that to heart. Good woman. <laughs> good woman. <laughs> I probably put on 100 pounds in our first year together. Right. The thing about Josh is that his excitement and his enthusiasm for life, it just oozes out. It's contagious. It is impossible not to be inspired when you're around this man. And it's because every single day when Josh opens his eyes in his new frame, Daybreak is still met with a sense of wonderment. Is it the same for you? Like, even though I've had this weight off now for nine years, just about every day, I still feel like a brand new person. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. that was the norm for so long was to be that overweight and just seeing the world completely differently. Now mm -hmm. you hear about, you know, seeing it through a fresh set of eyes. Every single day is like that, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah look, I'm, I just physicians committee for responsible medicine medicine flew me to D.C., to talk Isn't like this is this is crazy town this yeah. is different for me like yeah. i'm just a few years ago i was you know standing in my bathroom mirror um fantasizing about using a steak knife to cut off all of my fat <laughs> right <laughs> yeah man i know where you're you hold from, that dude. big belly and look in the mirror and like what if i could just rip it off yeah and i would hold it up and try yeah. to see my profile what would my waist look yeah. like if i didn't have this yeah. belly yeah like you know yeah i, f I feel brand new every day and, of course, the big question, how did you do it? How did you make that change? Like many of us, for Josh, it was trial and error. And then, finally, a little wisdom. You got to do it wrong before you do it right. For sure. Right? Trial and, so, and error. Right. So I went back to what I always knew. I went back to the gym. I'm ex-football. I'm a football guy. So I went back to three sets of ten and lots of, lots of clink and iron, you know, and, uh, and you know, whey protein shakes, but I need three scoops because I'm a naturally I'm a beast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, that's what I did. It was just I wanted to sweat more and eat less. Right that was on. pretty much it. That's what I had always done. I'd lost 80 plus pounds several times, yeah. at least three times. Were in my you doing life. gimmicky diets? Yeah, 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 sure. You know, well, it was almost always some version of a low carb situation. Yeah. That's always how I would get the weight off. Yep. Um, there was a there was one there was one stint in there where I I used uh, Zenadrin with ephedra, 
um, until they pulled it from the it's market. Like speed, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it works. It worked really well. <laughs> you know, uh, I just didn't eat. Probably right? not the best choice, Josh. I'm not going to lie to yeah, you. Yeah, no, it was it was definitely a poor decision. Yeah, right? um, but it was it was a learning experience. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so yeah, so I went back to just hitting the weights, right? Watching the carbs. And making sure I drink all the GNC whey protein I could find. There you go. And um, that's how it started. And, I mean, when you weigh 420 pounds, you don't have to do much very right to lose no. weight. No, no. I mean, you're burning a whole lot of calories just being that big. Yes, sir. You know? Yeah. Oh, man, I do know. Like, that was the, the best part of, like, starting that was the beginning. Right. Well, and the thing is, is that it can lull you into thinking that what I'm doing right now as a 420 pound, what got me from 420 down to 350 is going to get me from 350 to 250. And oh, that's not the case. Nope, nope, nope. And so people call those plateaus. Yep. But it's just, it's just, it's just um, inflection points or it's just, it's just where you just, you haven't made enough changes yet. Right. 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 And so that's that's what happened. I get down, and I, my goal from the very beginning was if I could just get back down to playing weight, which was like two ninety five. What position? I played. I played tackle. Okay. Okay. D tackle or offense? I played D tackle at two ninety five. I Ooh, played offense. I played offensive tackle. I played left tackle in my in um, uh, college, uh, but for a very brief time. Uh, at three thirty. All right. So you had some. You always been a big guy. So always if you're not a football a fan, that's the offensive and defensive line right there. The big guys in the trenches. The big guys. Right on. The big guys. And so I wanted to get back to what I was in high school, right. which was in that two eighty five to two ninety five range. Right. And so that was the goal. So I got there. I got there. Uh, two thousand. Probably. Oh shoot. 2012 right spring 2012 and then it's like the heels you kick the heels up you go ha ah, i made it mm-hmm. i can finally stop doing all of this crap yeah and then that's and a mistake like, right and then you start coasting back up and so all of 2012 after i ran my very first race um at 325 pounds or so i wound up just kind of fluctuating and not really making much headway in the weight loss department. Sure. Right. And the next phase really came in 2013, the same race, the same 10 K I had committed earlier that I wanted to do that race in under an hour. Okay. And so that race started to just be like this, you know, this real imminent, threat on the horizon because i really wasn't prepared to go under an hour okay and so i just started uh i just started you know experimenting more with the food thinking about more about what to do what the food should look like and it was for the very first time i just really started trying to um be pragmatic as possible about what i was putting in everything everything up until that point i was like i'm running so much that it doesn't matter what i eat look at me i've lost 100 pounds already it's not really you know yep and and so i went uh for this for the for the lenten season of 2013 we're not very religious couple my wife and i but more as a social thing because everyone around us is catholic and everyone was giving up something gotta give up something man so what we did was we, my wife had been researching and she said, I'm going to, we're going to eat clean okay, for Lent. Right, right. And so I let her define what that meant and I stuck with it. 
and I felt better and all of a sudden uh, you know the race came around and race the race is like the Saturday before Easter Sunday which is the last day of Lent yep and so I uh, and I ran my race and I got in on I got in under an hour 5956 at a boy you got in man I got it yeah man and and uh, I was really destroyed but boy going doing the clean eating thing just really like put off a a big um put off bells and sirens in my brain like what else is there to this nutrition thing because it felt so good yep and so i just drilled down from there um at that same time while getting ready for that 10k i read born to run i learned about scott jurek and that was the first sort of plant-based domino to fall okay and so, and that's where it went. And from from there on, it was me becoming more aware of 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 the plant based protocols that are out there, yep. and and also identifying not only as as a guy who's lost some weight, some weight, sure. but identifying as a guy who's now a runner. Yep. I run. Yep. I run races. This is my second Crescent City Classic. This is important to me. And then. Further, as I learned about Scott Jurek, Rich Roll, Brendan Brazier, these, you know, the, the, the big names, the big names in the movement is, as far as athleticism goes, then I started to identify not only as a guy who's lost weight and is a runner, but I started to identify as a plant-based runner where I really sort of took it on as a mantle. It was something that I became, became proud of, especially after listening to so many ritual podcasts as I started training for my first half marathon and, and really sort of, um, uh, just learning more and more about food and its connection to chronic disease and understanding how many chronically diseased loved ones I have lost in my life. And once that connection was made in my brain, I kind of got mad. Oh dear. I kind of got mad at at the status quo. Right. I kind of got mad at the paradigm. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to just start swinging a big sledgehammer at all of these norms that I thought, you know. Do it, man. And that's and that's where I've been. Break the walls then. down, yeah, dude. Yeah, just start swinging and, and, and going. And not just haphazardly, but bring some facts with you. Bring some resources with you. Go look for yourself, you know. And, and um, that's that's kind of where I've been. That's, that's, in a nutshell, how it all got started and got me to where where I am right now. Fun fact about Josh, he has run thousands and thousands of miles easily enough to cross the U.S. and back since he's lost the weight. Switching gears. About one in every eight women in the U.S. will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. In 2018 alone, an estimated 266,000 women will be given the devastating news while 41,000 are expected to die. The alarming numbers are something that Lee Crosby knows all too well. After finding a lump in her own breast, she was terrified of becoming another statistic. And as you'll hear, that was just the start of her journey, a journey with twists and turns and enlightenment that ultimately led her to become a thriving plant-based nutritionist. 
And had it not been for a frightening occurrence somewhere in the middle of that already terrifying journey, her life may have gone in a different direction. It was late 2010. Um, I was actually having some pretty severe breast pain in my right breast. So I think like any woman would, I got pretty worried. I uh, went to my doctor and she suggested, you know, she did a manual exam, didn't find anything shady, but decided to go ahead and send me for a mammogram just out of an abundance of caution. I should put a caveat here that I was the ripe old age of 30 when this was happening. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty concerned. Um, so the results came back, and what they found were some sort of suspicious spots. They were calcifications, and we decided to go ahead and biopsy them. And those, by the way, were actually in the left breast. So surprise! Yeah, not what I was expecting. Right. Um, so they ended up being something called benign hyperplasia, which basically means not cancer, but your cells are growing more than they should. And it does mean you have an increased risk down the road. Still alarming. Yeah, yeah. So... I went ahead and got a, a breast surgeon because my family doctor was more than happy to pass the baton on that one and got a full workup. And she actually found a thickened spot in the right breast that nothing had shown up on the mammogram, but it was about the size of a quarter. And so since I had just had a biopsy and I was not looking to get, you know, another hole, no more, no more cutting, just I was over it. <clears throat> she offered the alternative of watching and waiting and checking every three months to see if anything had changed. So I thought, okay, I can do that, but I'm not just going to watch and wait because that's not who I am. I want to do anything I can because, again, I was only 30, anything I could do to reduce my risk. So I did some reading. Um, I actually read The China Study by Dr. Campbell, um, a couple of other books, things that I would kind of actually thought, particularly in terms of The China Study, I had thought that was just – I don't know, maybe hot air. I'd never read it. When I actually sat down and read it and saw that it was based on, you know, peer-reviewed published research, I actually went to the National Institutes of Health, the National Library of Medicine, so I could pull the full studies and read the papers to see for myself that this was true, that there was a connection between animal protein and cancer, and lo and behold, there is. Yeah. So I went and transitioned onto a plant-based diet, and first three months went back for my checkup. Everything was the same. That spot was totally stable. Second three months, everything was the same. Third three months, everything was the same. <clears throat> and about that point in time, I had actually – it's a long story. I sort of fell off the wagon. Oh. Um, I, I had taken Cipro a few months prior, which I probably actually shouldn't have even taken. But it had um, made my gut function a little bit special. And so <laughs> it was sort of a misguided attempt to try and fix that. I reintroduced meat. I went on a really intense sort of elimination diet. But again, the mistake there was reintroducing meat while I did that. Right. Didn't know it was a mistake at the time. Um, so I went for my final check with her thinking, you know, this is going to be nothing. It's been stable for, you know, nine months straight. I should be, you know, I should be graduated. Like, I'm done. But I hadn't anticipated that the diet change would make a difference. So I was actually four months, not three months, because I was running a little behind. And when I went back in for that final check, thinking I was just going to get a clean bill of health, that spot, <clears throat> which had been totally stable on a plant-based diet, I mean totally stable, had doubled in size. Mm. So again, in just four months, doubled in size. Terrifying. So I was back on the surgical table, you know, within a week, I think, super frightened, um, had a lumpectomy, had a big old chunk of my, my flesh cut out. It was not, not a pleasant experience. Um, 
and it was sent to the pathologist, and the results came back atypical. Now, I was really happy that it wasn't cancer, but I don't know if you know that much about atypia. Have you heard the term? Uh, I know that uh, somebody close to me had um, a little scare, so I know a little bit. I'm I'm certainly not an expert, but I know it's uh, it's enough to. Uh yeah. Yeah. Long nights. Yeah, exactly. It's not something you want to hear in reference to your own cells. So luckily with the lumpectomy, they'd gotten everything and it had clean margins. But the fact that I was sprouting atypical cells, again, I think I was 31 at this point. And the fact that just going from a plant-based diet back to sort of a meaty diet, and I hadn't been exercising as much, but the biggest change was bringing animal protein back in and animal fat. And to have it double in size and come back atypical, I was done. Because, again, atypical is basically one step right before cancer. Mm. And the kind of atypia I had was one step right before they start treating you with tamoxifen and estrogen blockers. So I decided I was going to go right back to the plant-based diet, and I did um, lower fat content, and I have been there happily ever since. And that was about five years ago, and so far, so good. Knock on wood, I've had clean reports every year when I go back. Uh so speaking of going back, let's let's dial this back. It sounds to me like you did a lot of this research on your own. How much did your doctor try to school you on nutrition? Not at all. Not surprised, unfortunately. Not at all. Yeah. And it's not that she isn't interested. That's just, you know, she's a surgeon. That's what she does. And she's and she certainly did say things like avoid alcohol, which is, a, again, a well-known risk factor. Um, or minimize it, and to stay active. But that was really that was really it, and eat you know a quote unquote healthy balanced diet. Well, what does that mean? In this case, I actually was eating a pretty healthy balanced diet. It just was fairly heavy on animal protein and animal fat. Mm-hmm. But I was still eating fruits and vegetables. I was doing that stuff. So for me, the real key here was was meat. So you've obviously you know turned that corner. Have you had an opportunity to speak with the surgeon and kind of talk about? going plant-based and the benefits that you found in that now? Yeah. So I check in with her every year and she knows that I'm plant-based and she's delighted with the outcomes and she, I'm sure, would be more than happy to have, you know, more of that information in her practice. Yeah. She's been very receptive. So early 30s, 30, 31, was there a history of breast cancer in your family? No history of breast cancer in my family. So this just really out of left field just blindsided you. Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, I, I figured I had, I learned as through the course of my research that I had some risk factors I didn't know that I had, one of which we'll talk about more, but was eating a lot of red meat during my preteen and teenage years. Mm. Um, it, there, you know, there are reasons, but it was, it was, yeah, no family history. So you come through the other side and, I mean, you're sitting here, you're a dietitian now, so <laughs> you, you must have had this epiphany, like, this is what I need to be doing with my life. I did. And I turned to nutrition first because I had a background in nutrition, but I certainly hadn't, you know, done the whole dietitian thing. And having had this experience was what made me go back to school, take those courses, go through the internship and become a dietitian, knowing that this kind of nutrition was this powerful. This isn't something you get in a standard nutrition curriculum. So I'm really glad that I encountered it for myself. I could have done without the actual situation, but I'm really glad I found this information. I always love it so much when Lee comes on this show. She has truly, over the course of this last year, become way more than just a colleague. She is truly someone that I consider to be a dear friend, an extraordinary human being inside and out. 
And the good news for you is that if you live in the Washington, D.C. area, you can make an appointment to visit her at the Barnard Medical Center. She will go over your entire diet with you, your medical history, and hopefully get you on the right track in the new year for the healthiest 2019 possible. Our next story comes from a gentleman who lives just outside Washington, D.C. in Northern Virginia. Before learning about the benefits of a plant-based diet, Evan Bass struggled mightily with his weight. His large stature made him an easy target for sharp-tongued critics who cowardly arm themselves with cruel remarks. Honestly, I saw a lot of myself in him. When he spoke openly about his addiction to food, I couldn't help but to think back to my own middle-of-the-night fast food runs where I would uncontrollably gorge on $20 worth of burritos, polishing off that heart attack in a sack before hiding the evidence before the sun came up and everybody woke up. I was trying desperately to suppress a dark secret. In a lot of cases even for myself. After this interview, I actually received quite a few messages from listeners, people saying, hey, you know, that was me too. I've been on the receiving end of more than a few nasty comments and have received a lifetime of dirty stares. And for some, the conversation was the starting point for a new journey of their own. Many said that Evan's story was so motivating to them. And so with those fresh journeys underway, it was truly mission accomplished for Evan, a.k.a. Mr. Motivation. He's a chip off the old Tony Robbins block, and that is something that is impossible to miss from the second that you meet him. You just know it instantly. Anyway, I will never forget sitting down with him to record this interview. Just as we started to roll, he pulled out a before photo, and I said to myself, there's no way this is the same guy. Your face is pretty much unrecognizable now <laughs> compared to, to where you were. Um, it's your heaviest. Where, where were you at? Uh, I was. A, I saw a two and eight and a five on the scale when I weighed myself, and I kind of had to lean over to look over my stomach to see the scale at that point. I never weighed myself after that, but I did go to uh, the drive-through several times after. So I was definitely between two eighty-five and three hundred, and still ascending. And you're not that much taller than I am. <laughs> five seven. Yeah. In, you know, in between haircuts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I like that. All right. I'm. I'm, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, you, you get it. What was your waist at that point? It had to be 50 plus. Right? So it was, uh, well, it was 44, but I would go to the tailor and have the pants adjusted. I actually went twice, and uh, the tailor literally was having a little bit of fun. He would point at my stomach and kind of laugh and say, you're back. Right. And, you know, I didn't go after that. I actually got the um, the button extender things. Uh, I forget where I got them online or something. They didn't really even work. Man, that's so it was, that's yeah. a rough moment, though. Yeah, uh, you walk in, you're back. I mean, that's. I'm sure the tailor thought that that was just a fun little quip. But exactly. That, I mean, I'm sure that just cut you to the core. There's a lot of moments like that. There's a lot of indignities that you experience. And one of the things I remember was that when I'd walk into restaurants, I would always be seated 
uh, near the bathroom or near the kitchen. Because, and somebody told me once who worked in a restaurant, said, Evan, it's nothing personal. And I'd say, what do you mean? And he'd say, they're trying to do good business. And I said, what? And he said, they don't want morbidly obese people near the front of the restaurant by the window where people can walk by and see unattractive people walking in there. Mm. And I said, I, I mean, I understand the business angle. I, I do. But it was just an interesting sort of, you know, component of that. Wow. And um, there was many other other examples like that as well. I used to, uh, you know, the eating thing was so out of control when I would get coupons uh-huh. for, you know, pizzas and so forth, two extra, extra large pizzas. Yeah, man. And I'd always have them delivered and meet the delivery guy outside so he couldn't see that there wasn't like a 20-person party going on. There was a one-person party. Yeah. And, um, you know, all of that was sort of part of daily life. Yeah. I remember I would actually order the business special, like for mm-hmm. offices. So it'd be like six pizzas, and like that would do me for two days. Right. Um, and it, I, I always hoped that they just assumed that there was a party there. I never thought to turn music on in the background and you know, <laughs> hoot and holler and all of that stuff. I, I think though that like the delivery guys, like they know what the score is. I, I think mean, so. you're trying really hard to fool everybody, but you're trying even harder to fool yourself that's what it is that's completely what it is and the reality is you know obesity morbid morbid obesity doesn't care it it doesn't doesn't care if you're a nice person if you're funny if you're a good tipper if you're you know all these things it will take you out Mm -hmm. it will take you out way before you should be done yeah in life yeah and at your funeral people will say oh yeah evan yeah he's a nice guy you know I don't know why he always rooted for the Vikings, man. They never won for him. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, he, you know, he, he made good food at his Super Bowl parties and all that. But, you know, he could never get his weight under control. Yeah. And yeah. now he's gone. Yeah. And now we can't ever call him again and, you know, hang out with him or ask him to watch my dog for me or any of the things that you do in life that you could have kept doing yeah. for people. And, you know, the great thing is there's ways to turn it around. For sure. Did you ever have any friends express concern to you about your weight? Absolutely. Um, in fact, uh, one in particular I want to talk about. I'm sure. not, not going to use her real name because she's fiercely guarded about her privacy. <laughs> but um, she was a former college volleyball player. Um, and actually, she, she had her name in their, their record books. She was really good. She's oh, about 5'10", wow. 5'11". Five, five, okay. And I met her in a tennis, tennis class. And we wound up playing tennis together for a while on a team, doubles together. Mm-hmm. And in doubles... You can play when you're morbidly obese because you don't have to cover a lot of ground. Right. But occasionally I would take a wild, crazy man run along the baseline after a ball and, you know, get to it or something. I couldn't turn around and run back because you have all that momentum going. You're crashing into the fence. Sure. Okay. Sure. So I do all this and people say, oh, you know, good hustle. You know, nice shot. And she said something to me. I believe was the smartest, no worse than tied for the smartest thing anybody's ever said to anybody it was you're doing all this at 285 imagine how you'd play if you just lost 10 pounds Mm. and to me that was achievable i I could lose 10 pounds if i really got serious i do want to play better i want to be a better tennis player. i want to play better for her i want to win this match look at those people over there i want to beat them yeah and, you know, she didn't say, you got to lose 120 pounds. Right, right. She said, what if you lost 10 pounds? Imagine how much better you'd play. Right. And that planted a seed in my mind of, i got to find a way to do this. Because she's right. I wonder if I could play better. So from there, she, you know, she would buy me all of these um, cooking utensils. She would try to teach me how to make food at home rather than going to fast food and going to all the dry, drive-thrus and all that stuff. And, and Chuck... 
I was so pathetic that I made all the excuses in the world about why I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Oh, it's too late. Uh, the commute was too long. Oh, you know, the dishwasher's full. I even told her the knob. This is actually true. The knob fell off of the oven, <laughs> and I couldn't get it back on. Oh, man. Okay? Okay. And so at one point, and this is a real turning point in my life, we were on the phone, and she was saying, you know, what would you have for dinner or something? Because as she was trying to do a weight loss thing, too, which was ridiculous because she, she did not need to lose any weight, but right. just as a, a solidarity thing. So we would kind of compare notes. And I would say, oh, yeah, well, you know, just, just for tonight, just for tonight, you know, I went to, you know, fast food drive through uh-huh. And there was silence. And on the other end of the phone, she said, you're never going to lose weight. Wow. And it hung out there. And she immediately apologized. And she said, I'm, I'm sorry. And I said, no. No, you're, you're right. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, what have I done? I've taken somebody who she was never romantically interested in me or anything like that. I've taken somebody who just really out of the goodness of her heart just saw somebody who could maybe enjoy life a little more. Right. And was probably going to not be around much longer. Yeah. And I took all of that generosity and kindness and I couldn't even I couldn't even use it. And I had made her so frustrated that she had to say something that she didn't even want to say, but she couldn't think of anything else to say at that point yeah i'm sure it just came out it just came out exactly and it really hung in my mind and i just thought you know i wasn't like well i'm going to show her i'm going to lose weight because i i couldn't i was like i can't believe i did that to such a good person to make her say that yeah and so luckily soon after that i did see on uh on a median strip the same median strips where you see like buying gold and silver and you know all that stuff i saw a sign that said uh co-ed fitness boot camp hmm uh, free, free first class, first class for free. And I thought, wow, well, if the first class is free, what do I have to lose? Maybe I'll, I'll try it. You know, it could be a good, a good structure kind of thing. Right. And I thought if it's co-ed, well, it's probably not like super hardcore. Boy, was I wrong was about that. Was this CrossFit? Actually, it was, it was not CrossFit. It was, um, a, uh, a class run by a former army ranger. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is, uh, Captain, uh, Tom Kalka. Uh, one of the most uh, fantastic people who's ever been born. And he saw me on that first class, and I didn't make it 10 minutes through the 60-minute class. And later that day, he had the kindness to email me and say, I just want to check and see if you're having a productive day at work. And I thought, why would he do that? I'm probably never going to go there again. But he reached out to me. Right. He didn't see me as a total and utter loss. And the other really profound thing that happened was that no one in the class, not one person there, and they're all strangers, no one rolled their eyes at me and was like, oh, God, it's pathetic. You know, look at this guy. He can't even do a sit, can't do a sit up, can't run 20 yards across the parking lot. Yeah. Push up, Forget take it. him all day. Yeah. No, one, no one made me feel anything other than, hey, you know, good for you. Keep coming back. They probably didn't think too much about it at all. That's cool. And so I kept coming back. And there were all these people there. There were grandmothers in the class. There were people who had overcome cancer. There were people who had been in serious car accidents. There was, there was a woman, at least, she was at least 67 years old. None of us knew exactly how old she was. They were working so hard. And I just looked and saw all these people are working so hard. There was one woman who had, she had a back issue, and, and she would stay after class and stretch. She scared the heck out of me because she was so intense. <laughs> She was so intense in class. And then when I got to know her, she was a great, great person. Her and her husband I remained friends with for a long time. 
And I just thought, all these people are working so hard, and I've just been so destructive and so lazy for so long. You know? I, I've just got to try to catch up to them in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And there was one day in particular, on a sweltering hot, I think it was in July or August day, we were doing this exercise in class where we would do a, a pyramid set of push-ups, 5, 10, 15, 10, 5, and then do a lap around the parking lot. Right. Everybody else had finished their push-ups, done their lap around the parking lot, and was sipping water, waiting for the next exercise. I was still doing the push-ups. So in order to kind of keep me in sync with the class, the instructor, Tom, he said, just, just uh, you're, you're doing great. Just run across the parking lot real quick, not around it, and then we'll you know, get to the next thing. And I was just so enraged at myself because I let myself get to this point, all my fault, completely my fault sure. of being in this condition. And I just slammed my, my hand against the mat and said, no, no. And I jumped up and I bolted around that parking lot. And as I did, those people in that class started clapping. Hell yeah. And they started cheering and said, look at him go, go, go. Mad respect, man. And it was, they had no idea the profound effect they had on my life at that moment because they could see that I was fighting back finally. And they were going to support me to fight back. And, you know, and then from there, it just, it just went. And, and I want to say also, for people that are struggling, I needed to lose over 120 pounds. And, you know, it's really a, the battle is one pound 120 times. Right. And there's going to be plateaus. There were three different times in my, in my weight loss that I totally plateaued. And each time I changed something, whether it was what I ate, the intensity of how I exercised, adding different activities, exercises, and so forth. And it, it kick-started another round of, of weight loss. So there's always a way through. There's always a way through if you want to fight back. If you fight back, obesity cannot win. Physical fitness obviously playing a huge part in Evan's success, and as he was refusing to quit, he also began to focus more on his diet. So how did the switch to a plant-based diet come about? My main weight loss occurred uh, when I was about 41 years old or so, 41, 42, yeah. and I was still eating uh, animal products at the time. Yeah. Um, and I think about it, not that I never ate red meat, never ate steak or anything like that. It just uh, it basically didn't, very rare occasions, um, and didn't really eat a whole lot of, of, uh, of chicken and fish, you know, some, small portions, I guess. Um, so just by reducing calories, exercising hard, and portion control, I lost a lot of weight. Yeah. I did not know all of the other benefits I could, I could have yeah. by going totally plant-based. Sure. So actually just in the last year... So I just want to back up for a sec. So in the course of losing weight and, and attending this fitness boot camp, um, I started to run road races, mm-hmm. 5Ks and so forth, uh, eventually up to and through several marathons. And I, I did pretty well um, for my age group and overall. Uh, but a funny thing happened uh, when I was about 44, 45. I started to get injured a lot. Wow. Hamstrings, ankles, um, uh, calves. Um, and I went to physical therapists and doctors and chiropractors and, and massage therapists over and over and over. They couldn't help me. Um, it didn't really do anything. So for two years, I didn't race at all. Um, over the course of this time, I met uh, a woman who's my significant other. Um, right. My uh, 
beyond wonderful uh, in every conceivable capacity. I tell people, way better person than me. When I talk to her about people, they're like, Evan, you're not as good a person as that. I say, <laughs> I say yeah, I know. I hope she doesn't you know, catch on to that at some point. Um, but uh, so her sister, actually, um, has been plant-based for quite a while. And the funny thing about her sister, she doesn't run, but she walks like Olympic level fast. It's Ooh. really, it's, it's, she's great to be around, but speed walker. she's a speed walker and, um, she's very fit. She's very energetic and, uh, and she's very knowledgeable and she shared a lot of her knowledge with, uh, Valerie, my significant other. Mm-hmm. And we started making changes, um, substituting things in and learning more about it. And when you learn all the, th- all the reasons why the marketing is so pervasive for the meat and dairy industry, uh, what they're trying to achieve and protect through their marketing. And when you see all of this other research, scientific research yeah. from PCRM, from all kinds of places that show you that there's a much better way to live. Absolutely. And you say, really? Well, I never knew that. I just thought that eating animal products was like putting your shoes on. Mm-hmm. You did it every day. What's, what, what else? There's nothing to even think about. You just do it. Sure. That's what they want you to think. Absolutely. But the reality is... It's like if somebody said, you don't have to just put shoes on. And you, you could put on, like, super jumping flying shoes or something. I mean, you know, so much. You're just... it, PF flyers back in the day. Right, right. Yeah. right you know, something that really you can, you can you know, jump over houses with these sure. things. You'd be like, wow, give me a pair of those. Yeah. So that's like what the plant-based, you know, regimen is about. Yeah. You start doing that. And you're like, wait a minute. I'm 48 now, and I still feel this good? So, you know, weekend before last, I, I just won a 5K race. Good not man. Not just my age group, but the whole race. It was a small race, but it was a hot day. There was no water stop. And um, there was nobody there who finished ahead of me. The person in second place was 22 years old. Get it done, Evan. So, you know, it's just, it, it's one of those things where you see it and you're like, now, again, look, I'm 5'7". I have no physical advantages over any other runner. I would love to be in a six-foot-one person running body for a race. That would be great. Yeah. But so for me to do it, you know, it's got to be about how I'm taking care of myself, I guess. Yeah. Well, you're doing a phenomenal job. I, I completely commiserate with you having the short legs and running. Like, everybody else is taking these nice long strides, and I feel like I'm Fred, uh, Fred Flintstone trying to get that <laughs> car rolling. Exactly, yeah. you know? Um, difficult thing. Uh, real quick, when you were at your heaviest, and even when you, you came down and you were still eating those animal products, mm-hmm. did you have anything like hypertension, prediabetes, anything like that? Um, I was never specifically tested for that I, I frankly i avoided going to the doctor <laughs> i believe it okay so because i knew what they were going to say and the thing is also that i knew i really wasn't going to get anything truly useful out of it sure and in fact at one point i did say to a doctor can you give me a list of what to buy when how to make it what to eat you know a chart essentially mm-hmm. and i know that's kind of pathetic to ask for i should be able to figure that out by myself but i thought well if you're if you're a doctor wouldn't you have this wouldn't you want your your patients to kind of you know, have this this really clear, crystal clear, right? You know, way to way to go about this. And they just, you know, they gave me a like one of those sheets that's obviously been copied like eighty times since nineteen fifty one or something. You know, <laughs> it's like all blurry and blurry and all that. Clearly up to date, right? Right. And they were like, "Here, here you go. Bye." You know, see the front desk. Mm. And there was there was no interest. There was no information. There was no, "Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to crush." this thing that's going to crush you if right. you don't. Right. So 
the, the doctor thing I didn't really interact that much with. But, I mean, I knew, you know, from seeing people's faces in the obituary pages that looked just like mine. Yeah. That my time was coming. That's and, a tough pill. And no one would be surprised. That's a tough pill. I don't – I remember being at the doctor and, I mean, not surprising that she said this, but, I mean, she was like, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. I said something I cannot repeat right now. Right. I mean, I right. was so furious, and and I was like you. I mean, I just went right back to that drive-through for right. quite some time after that. I like, what does she know? And like, right. Not mad at her. I'm mad at myself. Never one to end a conversation. And on a sour note, Evan began channeling his inner Italian stallion. Seriously, he might as well walk around carrying a sign that says "Here to Inspire." The guy, he he like. He just defines the word perseverance and unselfishly will boast that everyone has that same ability inside. Everyone. You, your friends, your family, the person in the car next to you, someone in the next cube at work or at the movies. Everyone on this earth has greatness within. And he'll be the first to tell you. He may have lost the weight and turned into a fantastic runner, but he's no Superman. Exactly. I work 40 hours a week, commute, all that, do laundry, all the stuff that everybody has to do. You, you know, you, you can find a way to do it. And I got to say also, you know, you feel so much better just after losing some of the weight as well. I liken it to, uh, for those of you out there, you know, maybe in your 40s or so have seen all the Rocky movies, right? <laughs> so Rocky Four, okay, the Drago one. Okay. The big fight. He's, you know, Drago's invincible. Drago is like, was like obesity was to me, this invincible opponent who just crushes everybody, kills everybody, and I'm just this guy in there, this short guy, you know, who's going to get crushed. And, you know, in the early rounds, it's going pretty bad for Rocky. He's getting knocked around and all that. That's what obesity did to me, you know, because it was hard. It was really hard in those boot camps and, mm-hmm. and eating different. But then remember the point where Rocky kind of pops him and cuts him, and yep. the announcer's like, he's, he's cut. He's cut. Drago is cut. And it's like, you know, you hit back against obesity and you see obesity have to see its own little trickle coming down its, its face. And then you get that momentum and you feel like you are a different organism altogether than what obesity started off standing over and saying, you'll never win. You will die. Yep. OK, well, now we're in it. You coming from my head, you're going down. That's right. Twelve round fight, man. We're only at round four. Only ex- exactly, and there's 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 lots of fight in you if you're willing to fight back. Absolutely. And you know, it, 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 on the on the plant based uh, point again, I just want to hammer home. You know, there are so many ways to do it, and I would just tell people if you go about it smartly with the right information, um, PCRM has, uh, I believe, it's free. The twenty one day Kickstart online. Indeed, we do. All of those resources are up on PCRM.org. You can also download our brand new 21-day vegan Kickstart app on both Android and Apple devices. It is completely free. And if you're in the Northern Virginia area, you can also check out Green Fair Restaurant in Reston. That's where Evan got his plant-based education. They have a comprehensive three-week program that follows the Physicians Committee guidelines. It has all meals included. It's a phenomenal program that is led by the incomparable Gwen Whitaker. Evan Bass, a true inspiration for us all as we head into this new year. 
And what a 2018 this has been. So many incredible stories out there. People who were taking dozens of pills every single day, now off of all of the medication. People whose heart disease or diabetes were reversed. People who had been living in chronic pain for years, only to have those aches up and vanish. These are the people you should be talking about the next time someone asks you, why did you go vegan? And as we heard earlier from Mark Ramirez, it's about not resigning yourself to a gloomy genetic destiny. Look, there are no guarantees in life. But what the research has shown time and again, and what has been proven by all of our extraordinary guests on the exam room this year, is that a plant-based diet, one free of all animal products, it gives you a much greater chance to live free of the diseases that are crippling our quality of life. The researchers like to call those odds statistically significant. I do too. And I can't wait to share more incredible successes with you in 2019. I hope, though, for now, you share some of these stories from today with someone in your life who may need a little pick-me-up. You can't force anyone to make a change. It doesn't matter who they are. You can't force them to make a change. But it always helps to hear from someone who has walked in that person's shoes. If nothing else, it's a reminder that nothing is impossible. And if you think that you have a great story to share, please get in touch with me on social media. Shoot me a message on my Facebook page. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Chuck Carroll, WLC, Carroll with two R's and two L's, the WLC standing for Weight Loss Champion. Be sure also to follow the Physicians Committee at PCRM on Twitter and at Physicians Committee on the Gram. For everyone here at the Physicians Committee, this is the Weight Loss Champion Chuck Carroll wishing you a very happy new year. Let's make 2019 the healthiest yet. <laughs>